Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Jake McGregor. All right, good morning. How is everybody doing? I realize you may not be listening to this during the morning time, but I am. I've got a hot cup of coffee. Um, it is actually morning on Wednesday. Um, so this teaching is actually the Praxis teaching for... Um, this past week, uh, the week of the 19th. Um, as those of you guys who were there know, we had a little Father's Day event on the 19th. Um, and the goal was to get this Praxis teaching actually out at the same time. Uh, but <laughs> as I am, and we all are at, pra- at Kingdom Community, we're bivocational folks. Um, none of us are, this is none of our full-time job. Um, and so we do this as volunteers, and this past week or two at 180 have just been hectic. We've got some staff changes and some things happening, and so um, things did not come together quite as planned. But we're here now, um, and we're in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. So this is the third session, um, chapter 3, of our study through the book of Ephesians. Really beautiful, powerful um, first two chapters that we've been going through um, uh, the first chapter is a prayer. Uh, the second chapter, he talks about this magnificent, this is the author Paul talking about this magnificent salvation that we have. And the fact that God all through, woven throughout is the fact that God has been, um, and God has predestined us, right? He has been planning and thinking of us from before the foundations of the earth, right? There's this beautiful, what our theme verse is out of Ephesians 2.10, uh, that we are his workmanship, right? We are his poema, created beforehand, right? Created in Christ beforehand uh, so that we could do the good works that he's prepared for us to walk. Um, That's sort of the Jake paraphrase there, Uh, but you get it, right? God has been thinking of you. God has been thinking of me. Um, And he has beautiful works for us to walk in, right? He has a mission. He has a calling. Um, These things, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, these things are the reason we were saved so that we could begin to live this beautiful life and this mission and this purpose and this identity that he's had for us from the beginning of time. Um, so chapter two is just this almost transcendental um, thing, right? It's magnificent. Um, like some of the earliest Bible verses you're ever given to memorize as a kid if you grew up in church are Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? Like they're important. Um, so then you come to chapter three and and all of a sudden, Paul charges in and he begins to pray. Um, I'm just going to turn there real quick and have a sip of coffee. If you don't have your Bible open or you don't have access to it on your phone, maybe on the device you're listening uh, to, um, make sure you open it up because I want you to follow along with me. <clears throat> Let's see. Galatians. I got a brand new Bible, which is super exciting for me. Um, I actually lost mine a while back. Backpack was stolen, but now we are reading a new Bible. So he begins chapter three and he says, for this reason, right? So he's referring back to everything he's written, all this beautiful, powerful imagery, right? Of our our being created in Christ Jesus, right? As God's workmanship. So he's referring to this and he goes, for this reason. And then um, verses two through 14 are almost like an aside where he talks about his suffering, right? He says, I don't, um, I don't want you to uh, be confused, right, about the reason that I'm suffering, right? So he talks about this grace that's been given to him. Um, 
but then he charges back in. So it's almost like for this reason, right, three, one, and then he has this aside. And then I want to kind of locate our study here in 314 where he jumps back in. Because again, in 14, it says, for now, uh, this was an aside, right? And he goes, before this reason, right? For this reason, he says, I bend, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Um, and then there's this beautiful ending to this prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. This is a prayer, right? It's a prayer that he basically explodes into. And it's a prayer for you and I, Okay. This, this, is, this is the kind of prayer that if you allow this to be spoken over you, if you read these words as if they were being spoken over you in prayer, um, this is the kind of thing that can change you. It'll sustain you if you let it. So if you break the prayer down, it has kind of an overarching thing that Paul is praying in verse four, and then kind of three specific things that he's praying for. So there's this broad sense of what he's praying for us, okay? And then there are three things that he prays within that meaning. Maybe that's the way you can put it. Um, so the, the, the broad prayer is in verse 16, right? The prayer is, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, right? So he's praying for something to happen internally, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, right? His desire is that something would happen deep within our guts that would transform us and that we would become a truly empowered person an empowered people, right? Because for, for Paul, it's all about community, so people so full of the spirit that they cannot be stopped. Um, gosh, that's been our prayer for kingdom community all along, right? Is that we would truly recognize what it's like to be empowered and recognize that we have calling and mission. But then underneath that, there are these three specific things, right? It's almost as if as, as if the people don't have, if you don't have these first three things or these three things, then the main thing, right? That internal transformation, the empowerment can't possibly happen. So first, the prayer is that Christ would dwell in your hearts, Second, uh, that you would be rooted in love. Okay, this is all from 14 through 19. And then third, that you would be able to be filled with all the fullness of God, right? So that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we would be rooted in his love and able to grasp his love, which is really important. And then they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, one of the things that's really surprising about this um, uh, if you look at the three things that he's asking for, right, these three sort of pieces of the Christian life, maybe you could put it, that he's wanting for us. Um, in a sense, theologically, every single one of us, if we're Christians, we already have these three things, okay? Like you can't be a Christian without understanding that Jesus loves you, right? Like these things are, these things are connected to each other, right? So you can't, be a, you can't be a Christian or call yourself a Christian without, in a sense, understanding the love of Christ and why he did what he did, right? We have to understand this. Um, you can't necessarily be a Christian if you don't have the presence of God in your life. Like these are the things that we believe theologically. And actually Paul has talked about this, chapters one and two, that this happens the moment 
you invite him to come into your life. The moment you accept Jesus, these things happen. His presence dwells in you. Uh, you understand his love, right? So these three things, um, that Christ would dwell in your heart, that you'd be rooted in love, that you'd be filled with the fullness of God, um, these three things are something we technically already have. And Paul is praying for Christians. He's praying for followers of Jesus here. So the question becomes, why is he talking to people who already have a thing and he's asking them to go and get the thing and he's, or he's praying that they would actually have the thing that they already have. It's confusing and scholars have actually made note of this. So what he's talking about here for my money is the difference between knowing something and grasping something, right? Because it's one thing to know that Jesus loves us, right? Like I know that Jesus loves me. I get it. I can hear my kids telling me that. Dad, I know, I know Jesus loves me, right? Like all my life as we've had these conversations, I get it, don't, don't talk to me about how much Jesus loves me. Like I need to deal with my homework right now, right? Um, so it's one thing to know that Jesus loves us, but it's another thing to grasp how wide and long and high and deep it is. Maybe another way you could say this is that it's one thing to have something be true of you, Right? Like, I, I know that it's true of me that Jesus is in me. I know it's true of me that I'm loved, right? I understand in principle and in theory that fact, that reality, okay? It's entirely another thing to experience that truth in the depths of your soul, right? Notice the language here. In, the, in verse 16, it talks about having this spirit in our inner being. In 17, it talks about this being something that gets into your heart, right? In 18, it talks about grasping the thing so that we would know that which surpasses knowledge. So something that's bigger than our knowledge. See, for me, what I think Paul is doing here is he's inviting us deep, deep into Jesus, right? Past the surface level. Maybe you could say past the church level, past the pew, um, past the practices, past he wants us to experience something. Okay, and we have to remember that Paul's experience of Jesus is, I mean, <laughs> he, was, he was basically battered by the Holy Spirit for days, right? Worn down by Jesus until the scales fell from his eyes. He understands that there is something elemental that happens to a person when they press in or when Jesus gets a hold of them, okay? So there's a story about a famous philosopher named Blaise Pascal, um, famous French mathematician and philosopher uh, did extraordinary work that's still studied to this day. Um, like if you've gone to college, this is a name that you heard in your philosophy class. Um, when Pascal died, there's this story that goes um, that they found a little piece of paper. His servants found a little piece of paper sewn into his coat that he kept hidden on his purse until the day he died. And this is how it reads. I want you to listen to this. In the year of the Lord, 1654, Monday, November 23rd, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past 12, fire, fire is in all caps. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers nor of the scholars, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and thy God, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is to be found only by the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the soul of man. Righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. 
Joy, 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 tears of joy, Jesus Christ. I have fallen away, I have fled from him, denied him, crucified him. May I not fall away forever. We keep hold of him only by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet, total submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on earth. I will not forget thy word. Amen. <laughs> I mean, come on. This philosopher, scholar, learned man has an encounter with a God, he says, not of the philosopher or the learned. He's talking about himself there. He's like, all of a sudden, my knowledge of this thing became insignificant, irrelevant even. So that night, Pascal received something, something that he believed about and knew about. He was not only a philosopher, but a theologian. But in that moment, it became real to him. This God, Jesus, became not just something known or even something true, right? It's not enough that it was true. It became something encountered, something in an inner being that transformed him. In my own life, I've had a couple of these kinds of moments, um, one was a moment of conviction that led to a moment of confession to my wife. And she'll know what I'm talking about. I won't get into that here. Um, one was in college. So I'd gone to college and I've shared some of this story with y'all before. Um, I landed in a college that was very different from my personal experience of faith. Um, I've told the story of, of walking into my dorm room and seeing a, a roommate lying prostrate on the ground, um, crying to a DC talk song. It was just like lots and lots of really, to me, weird people because I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church. Um, there were things that we weren't allowed to do. Speaking in tongues was not allowed. Um, that was something that had passed away long ago. Um, my pastor made great efforts to talk about how these Holy Spirit sign things that you know some of these other Christians practice. You know, those things uh, mean you might not be a Christian. <laughs> There's a lot to that story. Um, it was just a very narrow slide. I met Jesus there. I, I love my experience at that church, but it was a very narrow understanding of the faith. So I come to Simpson College and there are all these kids who have come from different backgrounds, right? From Catholic all the way out to just like crazy Pentecostal Christians. Um, and their practice of faith was so different to me. And it was off, it like got me off of my, my balance, right? Like I was completely shaken by my first couple months at Simpson. So shaken that I actually applied to another college, one more from within my fundamentalist stream that I was gonna go down to and learn to become a pastor. And I was planning on going to this school until I went home for Christmas break. And on Christmas break, I um, had an encounter. So to this day, my boys sleep in a, a set of bunk beds and on the bottom of one of the bunk beds, like where I would be sleeping on the bottom bunk and looking up to the top bunk, there are all these chips in the plywood underneath. Um, and written on the plywood, um, scratched basically into the plywood is the, the phrase, if there is a mountain, climb it. Uh, as I was laying there one night on Christmas break, I, I was sick. I was like, and both of my encounters with God have also come at a moment, interestingly, when I've been sick with the flu. Um, so I was laying there sick, um, sweating, kind of like not wanting to move um, and thinking about this move that I was making and feeling just unsettled about it, moving from Simpson to the master's college. Uh, and as I was laying there, I had this image um, or a, uh, like an image of a verse in the Bible, um, in the Psalms, where it talks about, and basically the, there's this, this conversation, this, this Psalm that talks about um, climbing and not having your feet fail, right? That God would place your feet firmly um, I can't remember the exact psalm right now. I wish I could. Um, but I can just remember as clear as day thinking about firm feet on a mountain, okay? Um, firm feet climbing. And then unmistakably, you guys, I sensed, it wasn't like I heard this audible voice, but I sensed the word of God 
basically telling me, Jake, you need to climb this mountain. In other words, don't go around it. You need to climb it. Um, and I had this sense that he was going to make my foot placements sure, as the Psalms talk about, um, that I wouldn't fall, that somehow pressing into this crazy experience of Christianity was going to be a good thing in my life. And it has been. But I laid there and I just had this encounter and I wrote it down, on the, scratched it into the plywood on my bottom bunk. If there is a mountain, climb it. Um, see, it's possible to have something, but to not really have it, right? It's possible to understand God. It's possible to have knowledge of God through the Bible, but not have truly encountered that. Um, one pastor I heard talked about this image of a, a grandma, right? A wealthy grandma who made a large sum a deposit, sum of money um, in a CD or a long-term savings account for you just before she passed away. And at the time you were super young, so you knew that there was a deposit, but you didn't know how much. And then you come to your 20s or 30s and you have a, a time of, of financial difficulty and you need money. Um, and it would be like understanding that there was a deposit made on your behalf, um, but not understanding the amount, not understanding the fact that it would be life-changing for you, and so never really tapping into it, right? Thinking that it was an insignificant amount or that it wasn't relevant to your current situation, right? And then one day you tap into this bank account and you find out that it is, it is not just enough to, to deal with your current financial stress, right? It's enough to be life-transforming. And so the question is, you know that you have a deposit, you know that there's resources available to you, but are you tapping into them? Or do you understand that there's something that could be transformative? And this is the state of so many Christians in our world today. Um, being a pastor for 20 years, I just have enough experience to know that there are a lot of people out there who they have something, but they don't really have it. Right? They know about Jesus. They have his love, right? They know they're going to heaven. That's true of them. They, they know they're going to the whole. I don't doubt these folks' salvation or the fact that they have a relationship with God. They know they have the Holy Spirit. They know that God wins in the end, right? They have all of this, but they never actually tap into it. They never draw on the power that's made available to them. This is why I think Paul, when he begins this prayer, he prays it in a very specific way. You notice the prayer has nothing to do with any specific circumstance. Like when you and I pray, like what are our prayer requests? Well, you know, I've, I've got a, a family member that's sick or I'm, I'm going into a test tomorrow or work is really hard. Like we always, we jump immediately to specifics. I want you to notice that when Paul prays this prayer, there's no circumstance mentioned. Um, and there should be. Like in Asia Minor under the Roman Empire, it was ridiculously dangerous to be a Christian. These letters, like the book of Ephesians, are written by Paul from prison, right? So when he asks for prayer, like you'd think, or when he starts to pray, you'd think he have, he'd have some specifics in mind. These letters that Paul writes, as they go out from him in prison, they then had to be hidden and read by candlelight because they were seditious to the Roman Empire, right? And Paul never prays for them to be safe from the Romans, not here, and I don't think anywhere. In these days, famine was rampant, disease was everywhere, right? There's a huge plague that takes place right around the time that people would be reading these letters. And Paul doesn't pray for their food. He doesn't pray for protection from sickness. He never prays for any of these specifics in these people's lives. And you think, well, is that because he's just inconsiderate? See, I think, and I know actually, that he doesn't pray for any of these kinds of things because he knows 
that if they have this one thing, they will be able to handle anything. If they have this, then they will be empowered to face it all. So we're being shown something here that's deeper than knowledge, right? More resilient than our circumstances. We're being shown not just that Jesus is true or that the gospel is true, but that it actually has power to change everything if we will let it. I want to come back to this word grasp, and we're not done with this word. Um, Paul prays that we would be empowered by the Spirit so that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep this love is. The word grasp means to, means to grip something or to get a hold of something. I can remember the first time Ali and I embraced one another, like really embraced. It was in a car on the side of the road, and before you let your mind wander, this was a really beautiful, sweet moment, but it was totally PG. See, leading up to that moment, we had spent time together. We'd talked about our relationship a lot. We had even talked about marriage. Um, and this might not come as a surprise to a lot of you who know us, um, because Ali and I are ministry people and we're sort of vision people. A lot of our conversation about our relationship was about how we would eventually work together in the future, like how her calling to ministry and my calling to ministry would intertwine. Um, back then, we were all about this mission that God had placed on us, and it was like prerequisite. Like, does God's calling on me match up with his calling on you? Um, and so... We started dating. We even, again, talked about marriage. Um, lots and lots of conversations. We kissed. Um, we had a, a real relationship, but we were very pragmatic about it. Um, <laughs> mostly. Um, but I can remember one night on our way back to college, the conversation got very real. Um, we had seen a movie. I forget what we were doing, but we were on our way back. And we started really talking, like in a different way, about the things that we longed for in a husband or a wife, right? The things that I, I longed for um, all my life in a woman. Um, I remember Allie, we pulled off to the side of the road because the conversation got heavy and I remember her leaning over and grabbing onto me, like gripping me in a way that just felt different. And we sat there in this extended embrace and she shared. And as she was talking, I realized from the way her shoulders were moving that she was weeping. And we were so close as she was sharing about the dreams she had for a husband uh, that a tear escaped her eye and rolled across my own cheek. That's how, we were, that's how close we were. And she says, now I know that you were that man, the one from my dreams. Yeah, I realized how sappy that all sounds. Um, but in that moment, it was like I was fully in, fully in love, fully aware that this was the woman, not, not just the woman that I would share a life partnership with, this is a woman that I would mix together with, right? That I would intertwine with and become one with for the rest of my life. Like that was it. So up to that moment, it was all words and thoughts and even Twitter patient and butterflies, right? The idea of marrying was discussed and it even made me excited, right? So there are even emotions attached to it, but this it wasn't until that night when she was that close that her tear rolled across my face that I was gripped, grasped. And now my life would be forever mixed with hers. I had moved from the idea or the concept of marriage and it had even moved from a, the emotion of the whole thing to reality, to like these two lives are going to become one. And there was something deeper that happened there. And those of you who have experienced marriage, you know there's something that has to go beyond the understanding that marriage is important. There's something that has to go way beyond even the emotions that are attached to love. There's something that has to happen where the two become one. So you can know something. You can understand something. 
You can have thoughts or emotions even about something without fully entering in, can't you? This is why the psalm doesn't say, believe that the Lord is good, right? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's possible to know all about this God, be really sure of this God, without actually ever encountering him, right? This is what Paul's praying for. He's praying for this internal movement, this internal sensitivity almost, right? Radar, where you, you the, this allows you not just to know that something's out there, but to experience it and taste it and be shocked by it and be compelled by it. He wants a sensitivity in us to the actual movement of Jesus in this world, right? This is why he talks about Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. For Paul, it's not enough to know about Jesus or believe in the cross. It's about having Jesus become just as real to you and even more real than the other people in your life. So that his love and his approval and his opinion become more affecting and more moving and more transformative and more real than even that of a, a parent or a peer or a friend. He says, I know you already have the love of Christ. I know in principle you have the Holy Spirit, but I want more. Paul says, I'm praying for more than that. I'm praying for an existential experience of this Jesus in your life. I want you to meet him and know him to the point that everything else from everyone else just pales in comparison. So it becomes no longer possible to say, I know Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I can never forgive this person. Or I know Jesus and I'm a Christian, but this person's criticism has ruined my day. Or I know Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I'm overwhelmed with deep anger you see, if you can say any of those things, it means you know, but you don't know. <laughs> it means you know Jesus, but you haven't grasped him. You haven't gripped him. Or maybe you haven't allowed him to grip you. Because if you do, like, and so now you're living a life, even a Christian life, but it's a powerless life. You're living a, as a Christian, but you've not been gripped by Jesus himself. You know it's true, but you're not drawing on it. Because the understanding of who Jesus is when you know him and you know just how much he has forgiven and you know just how bankrupt you were with, apart from his grace, then forgiveness of someone else comes more freely and more lightly day by day. It becomes easier, right? It takes now not weeks, but days. Now not days, but minutes, right? Uh, somebody else's criticism no longer matters. This is what it means to be gripped, to, to have this relationship go beyond just knowledge or emotion. And again, it's not just about feeling it. Like I went to worship today and I really felt God's presence, right? Emotion is just the surface of what Paul is talking about here. Notice the words he uses. He uses words like being rooted in this love. So being grounded in it. He talks about being filled with all the fullness of God. See, this is having the very foundations of your life built on Christ's love. To the point where our emotions are actually kept in check, almost. Like it's, it becomes, it comes to the point where we're not, not only do we not feel more emotional, like our emotions are sometimes kept in check so we're not as needy. We're not as needy of that person's approval. We're not as afraid of what might happen. We're not as selfish or, or, or even insecure. It's not about feeling God instead of thinking about God because you no longer have to make that choice, right? There's no difference. Like, it's not about feeling instead of thinking. A lot of times, and you guys, if you've hung around different kinds of churches, you know there are some that emphasize doctrine and right teaching and the knowledge of the word of God, right? And there are others where it's all about the experience. The worship song goes to eight or nine or 10 minutes as people get swept up in this emotionally driven moment. And people will choose churches based on their preferences of one of these, the emotional over the intellectual. 
if you read Paul's prayer here, you realize really quickly that he would never make that kind of distinction. In this prayer in Ephesians 3, it's all together. It's may you know to the absolute depths of knowledge so that you can grasp to the absolute depths of your heart so that you can be filled up right, to the absolute capacity of your emotional being. Let me ask you, is this what you think about when you think about your Christian faith? Is this the kind of experience you've had being a part of a church? Is this the kind of experience you've had with Jesus? If not, then something is missing. And Paul is praying for you here. <laughs> now, how do we get at this, right? How do we receive the thing that he is praying over us? To understand that, you need to go back again to this word grasp. The actual literal translation of this word is to wrestle, okay? And not to like wrestle with God in the sense that Jacob wrestled with God. Um, it's not about that. Sorry about that That uh, ringing. Um, I had a thought. <laughs> so it's not that kind of wrestling with God in prayer, okay? Um, what it, The actual literal meaning of this is like to grab hold of someone with the intent to take them down, okay? It was most commonly used by the Greeks to describe actual wrestling in the arena. Um, those of you who watch MMA, it's like a single leg or double leg. Like you're going to grasp them with the full intent that they would go down. Like I want to wrestle this to the ground. And if you think about it, this is a strange word that Paul chooses to use here, right? He's saying, I pray that you would wrestle the love of Jesus to the ground. <laughs> so I think what this is about is beginning to understand that I need to do some serious, sustained, deep meditation on the love of, like, it's not just reading the Bible and getting information about the love of Jesus, but I need to somehow sit and dwell on this reality, I need to spend more time. I need, I need to wrestle with this in my soul, right? So that I can gain this understanding that I am truly, eternally, deeply loved by my Father in heaven. Right? You need to wrestle so that you know that you, you were so profoundly loved by Jesus that he went to the bleak and bloody horror of the cross so that you could be set free. It's almost like Paul is saying, if you don't understand that yet, if it, if it still just feels like information to you, then stop what you're doing and wrestle with it some more. If you haven't yet, then you need to grasp how long and high and deep and wide this love of Jesus actually is. And if you start to do it, right, let's do it for a minute. Paul's inviting us to wrestle with it, so let's try. How wide and long and high and deep is this love? How wide? You know how wide God's love is? In Isaiah, it says that though our sins be as scarlet, he has made us white as snow. Let's just pick one verse. Though our sins be as scarlet, he has made us white as snow. This is talking about blood guilt. So the worst possible transgression to inflict on someone is murder. Okay, blood guilt. If you grasp how wide God's love is, you realize that his love is wide enough that it, it, it meets up with, it invites everybody in, even to the point, even up to the point that you could be a murderer. And in Jesus, you could be forgiven and set free. There is no sin. There is no guilt. That's that's wider, that's outside the purview of this love. How long? You know how long God's love is? Jesus says in John 10, I know my own. I give him eternal life and no one can snatch them away from me. Paul says in Philippians 1, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will, not may, he not, it's not might, he who began a good work in you will bring his work to completion in you 
until the day of Christ Jesus. In Revelation, we're told that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world, okay? So now you have a God that's working in you up to, to the day of Jesus, and you have a God who like somehow exists before time, and before time, Jesus knew. It's like God knew that his son would have to be slain. This means that Jesus loved you enough to die for you before time began and will keep after you until time ends. <laughs> That's how long God's love is. His love's infinitely wide. It's infinitely long. It's infinitely deep. If you want to understand the depths of the love of God, understand the depths to which Jesus went to love you. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means Jesus voluntarily went out of the presence of his father. Essentially, as some theologians talk about this, he went to hell. He went into a hell, a separation from God for the sake of you. So he loved you at great cost. This is why it's so important to meditate on Jesus, not just God. It's not enough to just believe that God exists, right? For us, for those of us who follow Jesus, our God loved us at cost. Finally, it's infinitely high. Let's read this last verse. His love reaches to heights we cannot possibly imagine. It brings you to the end of the passage. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know how high God's love is? immeasurably more, immeasurably higher than we could ask or imagine. God, he is able to do more than we could ask or imagine. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this that we've been going through some just rough waters here at 180 for the last couple weeks. Transition change, it's, it's not bad necessarily, it's just difficult, right? it's just hard. Um, and it has had, uh, both Allie and I at different times questioning God, what are you doing? Like, how is this going to work out? This seems like this is not your plan. This seems like this is outside of what we're capable of doing. Um, gosh, it's no accident that I've been studying this chapter these last two weeks, right? Because the process of meditating on this and dwelling in this and entering in this, and if you've listened, like, this is a different kind of sermon for me. <laughs> like, this is not... It's less intellectual almost. It's like, like it's, it's outside my comfort zone because I feel like the thing that I needed to do with this passage was to wrestle with it, to let it like penetrate my soul. Um, and maybe that's the practice for you guys this week. Maybe what you need to do is you need to take these verses. Remember, this is a prayer for Paul, for followers of Jesus that are in Ephesus. It's a prayer for people. It's a prayer for you. And so when you read verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Like, could your family be that family? Like from whom every family, is that your, maybe Paul is praying for you right now, your family, your marriage, your children. So my challenge to you would be just to simply read this. Like don't, don't do a word study on it. Don't like, uh, you know, fill in the blanks in some Bibles, like just listen to this prayer, read it. Maybe read it as many times as you need to, this prayer, and have it be prayed over you. And begin to ask questions, right? Like, ah, is Jesus truly dwelling in me? 
am I really rooted in this love? And if not, like, man, what, what do, oh God, help me. Like, can this prayer be prayed over you? Gosh, I think there's something, there's something mysterious that, that has been happening in me. I can tell you that honestly. Um, I want that for you. So that's our challenge. That's a practice. Read. Maybe once a day. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Read that prayer and almost listen to it as if it's being spoken over you. Um, all right, that's what I got for you this week. I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's helpful. Um, again, I apologize that it took a couple more days to get it out there. Um, next time, next time we meet together, July 3rd, we will be in Ephesians chapter four. All right, blessings, you guys. Have a great week.